This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And we'll talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Today, we sit down with Milwaukee Bucks co-owner Mark Lassery, who purchased the NBA team for a record price in 2014. I think when we had looked at it, we had thought you were also getting a media company. So we thought what was a record price at the time would end up being a reasonable price within a couple of years. But before we hear from Mark Lasry, let's take a look at some of the top stories at the intersection of money and sports. New York Giants star wide receiver Odell Beckham is one of the most high-profile athletes in the NFL. He's received praise for his on-the-field performance, but also has come under fire for some of his conduct prompting Giants general manager Jerry Reese to make this comment after last year's wild card loss to the Green Bay Packers. Everybody knows he's a gifted player, but there's some, there's some things that, that he's done and uh, that he needs to uh, look at himself in the mirror and be honest with himself about it. Now we're learning that Beckham has signed the biggest shoe deal ever given to an NFL player, Scott. We kind of call this the, uh, oh, lordy money. Well, let me tell you, this is how I judge things. This is a very personal way of doing it. But I look at the playground where my son goes to elementary school. Now, that really tells me what's capturing the imagination of kids. All those kids want to be OBJ. They know him. They're practicing one-handed catches. They have his jersey. Some, like mine, have his haircut. He's cool. He resonates. He can reach young fans. That is exactly what all of the companies like Nike, as well as the sports leagues, are trying to do. He signed a deal with Nike for $48 million over eight years. And as you said, that's right. Everybody wants to be like Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. And I enjoy that the kids are taking some interest in sports. But then that's a lot of money for Odell. Well, it's worth it to keep him away from other companies. He's the, let's make this analogy, you ready? He's the Steph Curry of football. He's cool. The kids want to be him. Signature play. He's a highlight reel. He's the Steph Curry of football. Also in the headlines this week, a new cheering section at Yankee Stadium for one of their newest and youngest sluggers. It is judgment day. Aaron is judge and jury. He sends a home run to the netting in Monument Park. A two-run mighty blast. That's John Sterling with the call on the New York Yankees radio network following a home run from Aaron Judge, who now has a section in the stadium named after him. <laughs> Here come the judge. I still like that. <laughs> That's very true. You have, to, you have to say it better than that. I'm so, I, oh, I'm sorry. Come on, I, ready? I got to do the Sammy Davis Jr. Here version. come the judge. Here come the judge. <laughs> <laughs> All rise. <laughs> but I, you know what? Aaron Judge, and I, I regret this in my fantasy baseball league I, I didn't see Aaron Judge coming at all and this young man has been knocking it out of the park now he's an enormous guy by the way what is he like Paul Bunyan six seven yeah six seven huge guy so and and I mean pitchers have to say is like well what do I do for the strike zone here well yeah that's on field but off the field the Yankees didn't see this coming either which is why now they're starting to make special <laughs> sections for him capitalizing on Things like, oh, empty seats. Uh, we talk about the Yankees and a little problem they're having with empty seats. Listen, the Yankees have had a problem drawing fans to the new stadium since they put it up. They cut the prices of the premier seats in that very first season. They need to find a way, as Randy Levine told us on this program, to connect 
with young fans. There's that millennial thing again, and that's a good uh, Instagram shot in that judge section. See, and, and a lot of people don't. I I like that John uh, Sterling oh, call, come, man. Uh, Keep I home. love John. It is high. It is far. It's caught. <laughs> <laughs> and we also got a rule change from the NFL this week. Commissioner Roger Goodell made the announcement on Tuesday. We spent a majority of our time today, uh, at least this morning, on the competition committee matters. Uh, probably the one that's gotten the most attention is uh, the change to our celebration rules. Now, it doesn't mean that they can twerk in the NFL in the end zone, but thank goodness at least some of the teammates can come. They can give high fives and and whatever. Just listening to Roger, you think he could have made that a little more fun? (laughs) (laughs) Roger should have spiked the ball and said, this is okay and something isn't. Because you know what they used to call the NFL, what they were dubbed the no fun league. That resonated within the walls of headquarters. They did not like that because then that reputation hits advertisers, hits fans. They understand. They, like everybody else, this is what we're talking about, Aaron. Judge it's a section. This is about getting young fans engaged with your product. And if people like to see celebrations, then let them have it. Well, that's what the game is supposed to be all about. It's supposed to be about having fun. This is entertainment. So what's wrong with seeing some folks being celebratory in the end zone, which I kind of like to see the celebration there. Don't do a Gronkowski where you try to dunk the ball and then you mess the whole end zone uh, goalpost all. He knocked it askew one time. Lambo leap, baby. Lambo oh, leap. Oh, yeah. Today, we welcome Milwaukee Bucks co-owner Mark Lazary to the Bloomberg Business of Sports Studios. Mark is also the chairman and CEO of Avenue Capital Management, the investment management company he founded more than a decade ago. In April of 2014, he became co-owner of the Bucks after purchasing the team from Herb Cole for $550 million, and we're pleased to have him on Bloomberg Business of Sports today. Mark, I can always tell how a pro sports team is doing by looking at the standings. And it's funny, <laughs> when I say to owners, how you doing? They always tell me how the team is doing on the floor. I'm like, no, 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 how are you doing? <laughs> it's like no separation. But I can't tell how the team's doing on it from a business perspective. That has to come from you. Right. How are the Milwaukee Bucks doing? Team's doing great. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think, um, you know, as a business, it's actually doing pretty well. Um, I think I think what ended up happening with the new agreement, uh, new CBA, the new TV deal. So when we look at what's going to happen over the next couple of years, um, I think everything and the new arena that we're building – I think everything actually looks pretty positive. You bought the team in 2014 for $550 million. Yes. Believe it or not, that raised my eyebrows more than $2 billion for the Clippers. Right. That was the one people looked at and said, whoa, this has gotten out of control. <laughs> How has it gone since then? What were the metrics for the team then and where are they now? Look, I think then, because I think we paid the most for any basketball team, and then what was odd was it was the most for any basketball team, and it was actually the worst team in the NBA that year. Um, I, I think when we had looked at it, we had thought you were also getting a media company and that you were going to have your new TV contract in the next couple of years. Um, so we thought what was a record price at the time would end up being a reasonable price within a couple of years. And the opportunity to buy teams just don't come along that often. So I think from a business perspective, what we thought was going to happen ended up happening. 
And the big question was, would we able to, would we be able to build a new stadium? And I think with the city of Milwaukee and the state, we were able to work out a deal. Um, I think again, in record time, literally within a year um, to um, start building that new arena. And that's going exceptionally well. So it's turned out to be great. Yes, you want a team to do well in the standings, but it seems to me as an owner, you want the fans to have a good experience coming to the game, meaning, yes, we're enjoying the game, we're also uh, having a good time, and that translates into, lack of a better term, profits, What is at least what it seems anyway. Yeah, to an extent. I mean, you're, you're right, but the primary goal when you end up, I think when you end up buying a team, you you sort of become a bit of a steward, right? You you want to end up putting out a great product, and really what that means is you're going to try to win a championship. And so, in the beginning, I think you look at it and say, "Well, I hope I end up making money." And very quickly, you end up saying, "Okay, I really want to win a championship. I really want to win," and that drive overwhelms, I think, all the other concerns. And you sort of see that. I mean, you, you, you see it this year with Cleveland. Cleveland ended up putting out a team where they went over the salary cap and where they're going to lose money. Um, but the reason they're doing that is because ownership wants to end up winning a championship. Now take me back in your basketball history. What did you watch? Who did you root for? I love when David Stern used to say he'd be cutting meat in his father's deli in Chelsea rooting for Harry the Horse Gallatin and the Knicks. You've seen a few games at Madison Square Garden yourself. Yeah, I grew up in Hartford. So in the beginning, you were um, a Celtics fan uh, because you were there and they were winning and it was great. And then when I moved to New York, um, I ended up becoming a Knicks fan. And I was always a basketball fan. If all the teams in the league were for sale, because the Clippers came on the market right after you guys had bought yep. the Bucks unexpectedly. And I remember saying to myself, oh, he's kicking himself. <laughs> this is L.A. Which team would you want? I think what you'd like, I actually love owning the Bucks, And I think what you really want is you'd like to be closer, right? I, I think you, part of the fun of owning a franchise is being part of the community. And so I try to go out there quite a bit. It's, I, I think... You know, to me, you want to own a team and you want to be in the area. So believe it or not, when the Clippers came up, I would have had no interest in buying that team simply because you're not going to go five hours to go watch, right? It's You really want to be there every night and you want to be with the fans and you want to be with the community and you want to be with your players. So I, I think it's just you want to be there. Can you expand on Milwaukee as a sports town and why – it is a good sports town. You know, the people are great. It really is. It's, um, I, I always tell this little story, but it, it really sort of goes to the heart of it. We have opening night, and I have courtside seats, so I'm there with my wife and a couple of my kids, and we're sitting down. And after about five minutes, somebody taps me on the shoulder and says, uh, excuse me, Mr. Lassery, I think you're sitting in my seats. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it was Wes. No. And it's, you know, one of the people who had bought, somebody who had bought tickets also. And I go, I am so sorry. I, are you sure? He goes, I'm pretty sure. And I look at my ticket and I was sitting four seats away. There were a couple seats empty further down. 
So I would have loved to have seen an usher drag him out. Oh, that'd be great. No, so I, I, I apologize. And, you know, that's in Milwaukee. You, how long do you think it would have been in New York City? And it wouldn't have been, like, it would have been before the game started. It wouldn't have been five minutes into it. And I was like, I, I apologize. It's okay. You know, we didn't want to disturb you. You looked like you were having a good time. And I would tell you, that's what I love about the city. Everybody is so nice. They, they you know, they love the fact that you've come and you're trying to build really a, a franchise and you're trying to become part of the community. Um, and they're like the best fans. I mean, they really are. And look, and I'm sure everybody says that about sort of where they, you know, where they are. But um, I love going there. My son lives out there. You know, he helped me work for the team. So um, we've made Milwaukee our second home. Is it easier to satisfy a fan base that hasn't had a lot to root for in a while? I mean, like like you said, when you bought the team, it wasn't exactly a contender. No, I think I think what every fan base wants, I would tell you, is that they believe ownership is doing the right thing. That's really, you know, when you're, what I love is when I was a fan, you'd always be screaming, if you did this, if you do that. Right. And um, once you become an owner, you're like, whoa, it's a little more complicated. <laughs> but I think I think the reason we've had success is we tell everybody what we're trying to do. Right. And, and I think if the fans believe that they'll give you as much time as you need. If they don't believe it, then they start getting upset. And, what, you know, then obviously you just have to win. You can make a bad move, but you're saying the transparency, at least you're explaining and they're more accepting. Yeah, I think I think if we've made a bad move, um, we'll say it. We'll say, look, I think we made a mistake because you sort of see it pretty quickly. I mean, you know, when you do something right and when you do something wrong, I think in the last couple of years, we've done a bunch of things that I would redo and we've, and I think we've made some really good decisions. For example? You know, I, I, I think part of it is just, you know, we, I think we learned when we ended up having Zaza, who was on our team. I think he actually was, when we ended up trading him, I think he would have been great because he, he was a veteran and you started understanding the fact that you need individuals who hold that team together, who are actually very important. Um, and it's much more about sort of creating a chemistry as opposed to sort of, okay, is this player really good or is that player really good? I remember as a kid, I would grab a basketball, I'd go out on the court or whatever, and I'd grab my friends and we were playing basketball. And now everybody's playing a video game of it. I'm wondering if we need to get back as a society to get our kids out there just to play basketball to help generate more interest in the sport. Yeah, I mean, you're you're talking about societal issues. I mean, it's like when you and I were kids, you left in the morning, you came back at night. If your kid did that today, you'd have a heart attack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, it's not, forget video games. I mean, the idea that you don't know where your children are all the time and the idea that you would just go out I think that's changed. And I think parents today, um, if they want to go take their kids to go play basketball, they'll go watch them play. The idea that you could just go out and do that, I think that's changed a lot now. I think that's what's happened. But yet you look at the players today and they are faster, quicker, stronger. I, I know people get upset, but better, I think, than sort of players were 10 years ago or players were 20 years ago. It's amazing to me the development and how people are. I mean, look at Giannis. You've got a six eleven point guard. I mean, you, you couldn't even have fathomed that. Come on, say his ago. last name for us. Ante Tacumpo. 
Now spell his last name for us. Well, I, I'm not gonna, I don't even spell it. I can say it. <laughs> you went for I was glad you did it. I didn't want to have to do it. But for those who know, the Greek freak. I mean, he's got a great nickname, the Greek he freak. He does. He's a great, and he's a great kid. He really is. You need a star in the NBA. It's a star-driven league. You need two to three stars. You do. And it's just hard because the talent has gotten so good. And you see that. And you see the teams that are actually progressing to the finals are actually the teams that have sort of two or three all-stars. Let's delve a little bit into what you said, the media opportunities. You looked at it as a media play. Right. It has to be something. The team's a tentpole for a real estate play. You've got that in the arena as well. We'll get back to that. But the media side of it, I'll say like Michael talked about video games. That's a way to engage fans these days. I mean, everyone with their cell phone and the wired arenas, they're doing, whether it's daily fantasy and perhaps live sports betting coming to these arenas, this is all engagement. You think it drives interest in the league and most importantly, globally? Yeah, I think it does. I, I think esports is going to become a big part of what we do. I think the NBA is starting that. We had, somebody came to us with an app that said, on your phone, when a player shoots, before while the ball is in the air, he will that app will tell you whether it's going to go in or it's going to be a rebound to the right or a rebound to the left. David Stern might be an investor oh. in this. It it's, reads the spin of the ball, the, the arc of the ball. The arc of the ball. That's yeah. exactly yeah. it. Right. And so they came to us and said, you want that? I was like, wow, that's, you know, it'll get fan engagement. It'll be great. I'm like, what are you talking about? That means instead of watching the game, I'm watching my phone to see so I can know half a second earlier whether that ball's going in or not. Everybody's going a little bit too much to the technology side. I think there is, you know, my view is, Look, it's a game. You want to watch the game. And what people love is close games, right? You, you only love a game where it's sort of a blowout when you're the home team, right? And you're blowing somebody out. But if you're watching on TV, you want to watch a close game. And I, th I think there's going to be a lot more technology, and we try to do that in the arena. But ultimately, I think if what you have is a great product and a great team out there, people come. We're speaking with Milwaukee Bucks co-owner Mark Lassery, who's also the chairman and CEO of Avenue Capital Management. And Mark, how do you feel about technology's role in the NBA? Things like virtual reality glasses. Have we gotten too technologically advanced or too dependent on technology? Look, I think so. But again, it, th that's actually the reason why you have a bunch of young kids who work for you. <laughs> because <laughs> I think, you know, I like the beauty of the game. And... I think that's what people enjoy. Uh, but if we find that people want to do that virtual reality and that people want more, we'll end up doing that as well, right? But ultimately, you're going to go from a business standpoint where the market is, right? So if you find that the vast majority of people want to do the virtual reality, then I think we'll end up doing a lot of that. If we see that the majority want to watch the game, then hopefully we're going to make that experience better. But we also have to talk about scalable media. Sure. I mean, perhaps in the arena is one thing, and you're sure everyone wants the Duke University student section engaged mm -hmm. to full-fledged in the game. But when we're talking technology, we're talking about the ability to deliver these games on a global basis, not 18,000 people in an right. arena 41 nights a year. You want to sell this game in China and India, and you want them paying for highlights, and that's where perhaps the revenue play comes from on the global scale. And it does, and I think I think our biggest growth market, at least for the NBA, has been China. So I think you're absolutely right. Um, look, the biggest challenge for any 
team, not just basketball, but if you sort of think about whether it's football, whether it's soccer, whether it's baseball, and trying to sort of do this outside is actually the time difference, right? What everybody loves is live. I mean, um, just think about here in the United States, if I tell you the score of a game, are you going to go and watch it on videotape? Kind of hard, right? You already know what's happened. Remember the old days where you'd fight, don't say the score? Yeah, don't. You can't. You can't. Nowadays, it's impossible. Now it's impossible. So, so what ends up happening is because of that time difference um, in China where you're, you know, if somebody's sort of eight hours ahead. And what we're trying to do is try to have more games where more people can see them live. So that if you've got sort of a three o'clock game here, that's an eight o'clock game in Europe. Is streaming going to be the answer down the road as we get into watching not just a game live, but watching a game period? I I think there's a lot of streaming. I mean, I watch a lot of games, a lot of our games on my NBA app, right? So it's, I think you, you constantly are seeing that. I think every year you're having more and more people sign up for that. And you're having more and more people do it um, outside of the United States. So I do think, I think our biggest growth market right now has been sort of Asia, China mainly, uh, then Europe. Uh, so the more people you get a, you get involved, the better it is. We're chatting with Mark Lassery, co-owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. And Mark, from a business perspective, what took so long for someone to play both sides of the game where it was either you were a content creator or distributor. And there was that, which is more valuable game. Then somebody said, wait, we can do both. What took so long for Netflix to occur? I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, all this stuff is actually pretty simple. It's shocking how long it all takes. You know, there's um, an investor of mine uh, created created, uh, Perrier. Right. And when he, when he explains to you how he did it, it's actually mind boggling. After World War II, um, he comes up with this idea that people in restaurants wanted to show that they had money, but they didn't have a lot of money. So what was the one thing you could do to show that you had money? Pay for water. And if you had sort of this green bottle on your table, everybody knows that you're paying for water. And he comes up with this idea that in essence, I'm going to create this bottled water and people will pay for it. And when you sort of look at all these things that are there, the idea that you should have content and you should be distributing it doesn't seem that deep of a thought process, right? And yet that's how it had been separated for so long. And so that's sort of why, you know, for us, we try to figure out, do we want to create a regional sports network, right? Do we want to control our own you know, distribute our content. And, you know, that's one of the things we keep looking at. Where do you stand on that RSN creation? What what will be the we determining factor? Co- um, I think we're still looking at it. We still have a couple of years. And, you know, to do something on the RSN uh, side, um, you need to sort of, um, you, you need more than just basketball. You brought up a story about paying for water. And right. I brought up a thing about my father. And I never will forget when I first brought cable to the house, this was like over 30 some odd years ago, I said, Dad, this is cable. And he said, 
Are you stupid? We're going to pay for television. We got it for free right, right here. And the same thing he said it for is. water. Now, you cannot get away from it, which, and I wonder how sports is so entwined with cable. Uh, is that going to be uh, the norm from now on? So. I, I I don't know. I think it's things are moving so fast. I mean, it really is. From where I saw things five years ago and where they are today and where things may be five or ten years from now, um, you, you just want to be a part of it. You want to be in there. And I, I think there's going to be so many more different opportunities uh, for our team and for the NBA that uh, – just in what you can do in Asia, what you can do in China, what you can do in Europe, I, I think the possibilities are endless. I mean, they really are. Where do you see the NBA in, in sort of the 30,000-foot view when compared to the behemoth of the U.S., the NFL? Do we even look at it as solely U.S. anymore, or is that too late? You look, you're competing against soccer. You're competing against movies globally. I, I think for us, when we look at the NBA, it is that you're competing globally, right? I think what you've got is a global brand. I think our players are global. Um, and you're, I think you're seeing that in all sports leagues, right? I, I think the, why has soccer taken off? Because the rest of the world is playing it and, you know, you're either a Manchester fan or you're a Chelsea fan. Um, what you would love and I think that's starting to happen is also outside because it is global. Um, you know, I like going, I, I, I was in London for a meeting and we went to a pub afterwards to watch a um, uh, soccer game. And one of the guys at the pub is wearing a Milwaukee Bucks jersey. And I was like, you know, went up to him, why are you, what are you doing? Are you from Milwaukee? And he goes, no, um, I'm Greek. I love the Greek food. And that was really it. Simple it was just, as that. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't anything more complicated. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and you sort of, and you, you're starting to see that more and more. I mean, it's, you go to the different arenas, what ends up happening is you'll see people with Greek flags there. And, you know, because they're all huge fans of Giannis. The most entertaining basketball arena I'd ever seen was the world championships in Indianapolis, whatever, how many years ago, because of the international fans. Yes. Waving flags, beating drums, up on their feet. I have yet to see that atmosphere inside an NBA arena. Why is that? And why can't it be created? Um, I think you're seeing it a little bit. I mean, I've, I've gone to Nets games where a number of Greek fans will be there with the Greek flag um, just screaming for Giannis. This is before the game. So is this a cultural divide that non-U.S. fans are behave this way, but U.S. fans are more reserved? I see it at the New York City Football Club. I see it at Red Bull in the supporter sections, but I don't see it in basketball. Yeah, I think because I think uh, U.S. fans are you know, you, you're U.S. based, right? So you're a fan of the United States, whereas somebody who's Greek will end up. Um, they love the fact that Giannis is from Greece, right? So you you will have a lot. I mean, look at what happened in the um, All-Star voting with Zaza, that Zaza almost ended up, um, you know, making the All-Star team. And the reason he did is because you had all these Georgian fans who were voting for him. Um, what you find is non-U.S. fans, 
because they've come to their country and whether you're an immigrant or your parents are from there, um, quickly identify with that and want to show their support. Michael, the answer is obvious. They need an owner, face and chest painted, <laughs> leading the way. I would pay good money <laughs> to got, see that. B-U-C-K-S. B-U-C-K-S. That's five. How many right. kids do you have? Five. I, I've just solved your problem. You have, and I thank you for that. I hadn't <laughs> thought of it. I do think people would be shocked if I came to the arena with my face painted um, without a shirt on with the Bucks logo, but maybe I, I may try it. Why not? Mark, thanks very much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Mark. Mark Lazary is the co-owner of the Milwaukee Bucks and also the chairman and CEO of Avenue Capital Management. All right, Michael, let's finish up the show with one final story, a number we're focusing on today, and that number is 80. I know that it has something to do with crummy metals. 80 of them. Yes. (laughs) Probably more to come if people have not heard. In essence... The medals that were awarded to the athletes at the at the Rio Olympics, they're flaking, they're crumbling. In essence, gold doesn't seem to be gold. Silver ain't silver. And bronze is less than bronze. The athletes are not happy about it. How does that happen? Well, how does a lot happen with Rio? I mean, everything is, the infrastructure is now white elephants. There are lawsuits going on about bribes to build stadiums. It, it, Rio Olympics, hard to gonna point, it's going to be hard for the IOC to point at future bidders and say, look at Rio, what a success that was. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman.